Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. The Lens is a business in the community podcast powered by Fujitsu in partnership with McCann. My first guest today is Claudio Janal, CEO of insurance and healthcare provider AXA in the UK and Ireland. My second guest is the founder of Kui Studios, an open innovation lab for large enterprises, Sandiso Sibisi. Today's conversation is all about bridging gaps. It's about innovation and it is a bit about patience, as you'll hear. We'll talk about how you connect cutting-edge technology with tough business problems. We'll hear some very practical tips on how to make any organisation more innovative. And we'll explore the future of healthcare and why it will probably involve new forms of collaboration. Let's get to the conversation. Sandiso, Claudio, a very warm welcome to The Lens. Thank you, Ollie. Hi. Hi, thank you. Well, Sandisa, I have to turn to you first because it's an absolute honour to welcome our first guest, physically based outside of the United Kingdom. Tell us where you're speaking to us from today, somewhere you call home. Um, I'm in Johannesburg um, in South Africa. Um, and it's, it's South Africa is a country in Africa. I feel like I need to say that. <laughs> Well, I don't know what I don't know what your current impression of us Brits is, but it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you. Why don't I go back to the start of your story, Sandy? So we're going to come on to your current role at Kui. But your first ever job, how did you get started? So um, I come from an entrepreneurial family. My mom uh, used to make wedding cakes, so we had a, basically a wedding cake factory. And in South Africa, people take videos of everything. So funerals, weddings. So my dad was a videographer. We went to a couple of funerals just to take video footage of that. Don't know why. Um, and so that was his entrepreneurial side hustle. Um, so my parents both had full-time jobs. My dad was an HR manager at what is now known as South 32. And then my mom was a full-time nurse. So they would go to work in the morning and then after work, they would come and they would work on their side businesses. So I've just always been taught about how to just make additional income over and above your what you make on a nine to five. And then, so my mom made us sell roses around Valentine's Day. So she made us go door to door and knock and ask them if they want to buy roses, but not uh, real roses. Roses, imitation roses, silk roses, I think it's called. And so we'd knock on door to door and ask people to buy for their loved ones. Um, yeah, that was my first job. Now, I'm wondering there, Sandisa, whether that was an early taste of having to have chutzpah going up to people, maybe a little bit of rejection in the mix, surely, or am I reading too much into it? Oh, yeah, people can be so horrible sometimes. Hey, like it's just like if you don't want to buy the product, don't be horrible. But I guess that just comes with building up your. I don't know, stamina or your, you know, thick skin. So you just get used to the the people that are not so nice. And then you just focus on the ones that are actually nice. And then, yeah, then it's good to go. I think it's good advice for life, that. Well, I'm also getting a sense already of chutzpah, being not afraid to approach people. And with Kui Studios, it sounds to me like you're bridging a gap between some very different types of organization. What are you doing? So I'm trying to bridge the gap between startups and corporations. Um, I've experienced this because I have a startup myself and I know that trying to sell the idea was kind of challenging. Um, I just think that both parties quite need each other. They just don't know how to work together. It's primarily based on different cultures, um, just different ways of working. And so what I try and do is is train both parties, the, both the corporation and the startup, of how they can actually work together. And I mentor the startup. It's just, I just feel like like young 
young entrepreneurs are just misunderstood as opposed to them just being useless. So I just I'm trying to change that narrative. Yeah. You also describe yourself there as an ecosystem enabler. I think that's a fascinating phrase. What does that mean? So it, it basically means that, you know, there's a bunch of innovators in the ecosystem of entrepreneurship innovation. And so what I'm trying to do is help that ecosystem grow and how my contribution to it is giving them market access. Other people contribute to the ecosystem like venture capitalists, is more like funding. Other incubation hubs or labs contribute to giving startups facilities. My specific contribution to the ecosystem is actually market access for startups. Got it. And by market access, you're facilitating the introduction there, giving some coaching, some advice along the way. Let's have an example of a piece of work you're proud of. Yeah, so we just did something for a province here in South Africa. The initial arrangement was to just do a dashboard for COVID-19 cases. Um, it's a health provincial government agency. So just helping them understand deaths, you know, the typical stats that we hear today, deaths, recoveries, you know, infections, tests, etc. But then it extended the scope to also learning how they can manage their capacity. So if you understand where your next wave of infections is going to be based on just data that you have, you're able to predict your bed space in hospitals because you know how many beds you have available. And so if you're able to understand that you're going to have a shortage of beds, you're able to move assets around to try and mitigate that risk of having shortages of of beds. And that was done between obviously a government agency, uh, which probably is seen as the most uninnovative people (laughs) as compared to corporations and an AI startup. Yeah, and it's fascinating because, of course, you'd seen the other side of this. You spent some time with Accenture. I mean, I'm going to ask you to generalise here. What do larger corporates, and let's not forget we've got one waiting alongside you who is decidedly (laughs) uncorporate, I might add. Um, What do large corporates struggle with in your experience? I just think in, in corporates, many people have not bought into the innovation idea. What you'd find is that, you know, in a corporate that has probably got 100 people, only 10 people have bought to the idea. But when you do an innovative product, you sort of need to have the whole organization having bought into this because you're trying to get as much scale as possible. So what happens is then people struggle to scale these ideas because they don't get the necessary supports. People see it as a waste of time. People don't. And the other thing about innovative products is that they only actually make you like profits like five to 10 years later, which is like so bizarre for corporations because a corporate is used to if you invest in a product for like what three years or six whatever you when you put it in the market it makes money tomorrow whereas innovation is you put it in the market today but it can only probably make you a profit like three to five years later so i think that's a challenge for corporations and i kind of understand because they have to deal with shareholders who want to see profitability and want to see growth as soon as possible it's just not how innovations work really i mean we all know that uber is probably still not making profit today but and they started like 10 years ago so it's just something that we need to just be cognizant of as corporations that when we invest or take time and you know applying our minds innovative products they don't reap the benefits we want immediately but sure five to ten years later they could reap you exponential growth yeah yeah understood now um sandita you founded a fascinating organization born to succeed just tell us what that was what it is and why you started it 
Yeah, so we have a, a, a huge unemployment issue in South Africa, and it's just gotten worse year after year after year. And so when I got into the space, when I started doing, when I started, when I built Born to Succeed, I think the unemployment rate amongst young people was probably like 30, 40%. I think now it's sitting at around 60%, which is like really crazy. And so we were building it in response to the unemployment rate. At the time, there was enough jobs were available, but young people were just not getting through post-interview or, you know, being being work-ready, I'd say. So we stepped in and actually helped them become work-ready. I guess I'm always just building bridges, right? That's what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> well, I was, I was exactly about to say that you are still in the business of creating opportunity through those connections, through opening those doors. You see that? Well... Listening to all of that conversation is Claudio Genal. Claudio, welcome to The Lens. Thank you and welcome. It's um, it's a pleasure to meet you formally uh, for the first time today. You're Chief Exec of AXA in the UK and Ireland, and many of us already know it as an absolute giant in terms of insurance and healthcare and uh, in many, many industries. Um, how about you personally, though? Where did you get started? Yeah, quite interesting. So I, well, I'm, as you can tell, I'm not from the UK. I'm Swiss. So I, I was born really what you would call the Swiss mountains, very remote, small village, 2000 people. Uh, parents were both teachers, so no entrepreneurs, uh, just teachers. Uh, and their parents were, were both farmers. So that, that was my background. That's where I come from. And tell me then, what does your first job, if you cast your mind back, what does that involve? Is that in those mountains? Have you gone to a city by then? Well, the, the first job I had started at seven o'clock in the morning uh, and finished at seven o'clock in the evening, 12 hours. Uh, and the job was basically to get together the 30 cows of the village, walk them uh, somewhere to make sure they eat and bring them back. Ideally, again, 30 cows and the same ones. Uh, and that's what I did when I was nine. Uh, that was my first job. So during the summer, I would do this for six, seven weeks. Well, good. Well, I'm very reassured to hear an insurance leader talking about that importance of counting them in and counting them out. Um, I want to hear about the business, of course, but also how does the young boy in the Swiss mountains end up in insurance? A couple of turns on the road, very deliberate. How does it happen? Well, deliberate will be stretching it. Uh, I, I think I never had to plan somewhere saying that's uh, that's the job I want. And I started off um, as a trained environmental engineer, and then I joined Accenture yeah, for five years. But I got uh, basically, I thought I would do consulting, but basically what I got is an education in IT, uh, running big IT programs, which at that point in time, I thought it would be, it was a bit of a miss. But now with hindsight, it was a great thing to have, given that technology plays such a fundamental role in everything we do and understanding how it really works uh, in the inner part of the technology. It has been helpful for me the, the rest of my life. Right. Well, I'm very interested in this breadth of experience idea because I know that AXA are in the business of supporting some fascinating startups as well. And that's why you plus Sandiso is going to equal a very interesting combination. Just remind us about the core business today of AXA. Am I right to see it in terms of insurance plus healthcare? Just remind us. Yeah, so for UK, we are exactly doing that. Yeah, We are one of the largest health players, uh, private insurance, uh, obviously, and then insurance doing commercial insurance and uh, individual insurance motor home. That's what we do. Yeah, that's, our, that's what we are here for, making sure that we can protect people and, and being there when they are in need. 
Yeah, and while I've got you on the theme of connections, you were a founding supporter of Business in the Community's National Business Resource and Response Network. Just remind us why that was important. We're connecting there those in need with those that have products and services. Why was it so attractive to support? So having an opportunity to support, uh, especially communities that are needing support, um, felt like the right thing to do. Uh, because we can. But one of the most important things, the reason to, to go with BITC was that we cannot only just give money. I think it's one thing to do, but more importantly, we have our people who help them day in and day out to make things happen. And I think that's a great thing to contribute. It's a good experience for our people. And it's also, it helps them to really make a difference. Kudos for all of your support on that. And uh, thank you to AXA. Claudia, I was intrigued by almost how you described an education in business and technology. And I just thought I'd ask you how you see technology already shaping the future of healthcare in particular? Well, technology and especially artificial intelligence is a, is a huge contribution to what we do. do. Um, and uh, we talked about it, um, as you might know, we have a research fund that um, has support more than 600 projects worldwide so far. And one of the things we are supporting at the moment is in Oxford, a chair for explainable AI in healthcare. And the reason why we do this is um, the power of big data in healthcare is huge uh, because the more data we can put in there, the better the results are in terms of um, uh, symptom checkers, uh, bots that give you advice. They live on on, on big data. Um, so uh, helping the university there to, to get a grip around how to think about making the artificial intelligence understandable and explainable to people is key because they will allow more people to give their data so that we can build these things. And uh, we need that. Um, I think healthcare globally, uh, there's a view that says in five years, we will be lacking more than 9 million people working in healthcare across the globe. It's a huge number. Uh, and technology and AI can play a big role in helping societies to get a grip around it, but also individuals to take care of their own uh, health. And core to that um, process of communication, I suppose, is ultimately trust, highly topical, the extent to which we trust institutions with our health, with our data and so on. And I can see that that must be hugely motivating to support that kind of research, Claudio. It is, indeed it is. It's um, especially when you then see the difference it can make in our customers and members' life. Um, there's nothing, that's why I get up every day. Yeah, to see that we make a difference uh, by applying technology properly, but, but also having teams around, around the country who are empathetic, look after our customers, support them. And, even if the situations can be very difficult, yeah, having somebody who has cancer, you can make a big difference by supporting them and their families. So, yeah, I, that, that's why we do this. Uh, and as I, coming back to the question around the data piece, it's to me, it's key that we find ways to share data in an ethically good way so that everyone can benefit from it. Yeah. And when I hear about the work of the AXA Research Fund, sometimes I can get carried away gazing into the future. Of course, you're seeing the benefits today inside the organization. So if I were to ask for an example of that, what would you what would you bring up of how you see technology really changing lives internally, maybe with some of your customers? Well, probably I'll pick two examples. One one example is the way we handle claims. Yeah. So if you have a leakage in your co in your home, typically you, you had to get somebody in who looks at it and then assesses it, uh, yeah, all of that is gone. So what we try to do now is uh, you have your app on your phone and we directly communicate with you. Yeah, so you can show us what the damage is and 
typically at the end of that call, we will be able to settle the claim. So you you know how much you will get, you can go and repair it, which makes a huge difference. I think it's one of these typical win-win situations where both parties benefit from, from technology. Another example is probably symptom checkers is one of the things we are looking at on a European level for, for example, skin cancer. How can we just leverage more of the technology to get better predictions of patterns, which skin cancer is at the end of the day. So another element where we just push it today and um, really hopeful that we see more, more upside coming in future of it for us, but yeah. especially for our customers. And listening to this, Sandy, so I'm thinking these are global solutions for global problems. We keep being told in the wake of the 2020 pandemic that we can work from anywhere. I just wonder to what extent you've seen your horizons as Cooey Labs sort of opening up. You can have presumably labs and clients all over the world. Yeah, I think hmm, I'm in two minds about this pandemic. It's been good and it's been bad. So for us, Kui is only about 18 months old. And so we have a small client base that we were serving already before the pandemic. So I must say that, you know, creating new business or new relationships has been like quite hard, difficult. Um, and the thing is, everyone's talking about digital transformation and how everyone is investing in that space. And I felt like, we, you know, we should be exponentially growing, you know, given what it, what the word on the ground is that people are extra investing in this. Um, and it's been, it's. I think people probably spent the first six months of the pandemic not necessarily like spending anything because everyone was just too scared to decide on anything. And only now we're seeing uh, like an uptake as people, we're starting to have the right conversations with potential customers. So I've seen that happen. But also I think we can perhaps look at just like growth as well in terms of us, if we focus on building our technology tools, which is one of them as being like innovation management tools, we can serve clients all over the world. So I think it's also given us an opportunity to really build up our digital capability as well, as much as we try and build it up for other organizations, but internally as well. I think we need to be more built for remote working. So I'm excited about serving other clients in other parts of the world. Good. And tell me, um, Sandy, so just listening to Claudio's story so far, what would be a question that comes to mind listening to him? So which is the most difficult team you struggle to convince of your innovative product? So in your business, so which one is the most difficult? I don't know if you can answer that, though, because they might not like you after this call, but I'd be interested to learn <laughs> <laughs> which team you struggle to twist their arm and like buy into it. Well, it's a very good question, Dee. I don't feel that I have to twist arms uh, to get what we need to, uh, because within Axis, we can test and do things as we want. We are, as a country, a bigger, although Axis is huge globally, we have a lot of freedom to test and learn things within the country. So I don't feel I have to force anyone to get there. However, having said that, where we are pushing a lot um, and have a lot of work is how we get everyone to do more, I think what you do, the design work, customer-led work, rather than the technical, uh, let's just do an insurance product proposition. Uh, I think and that's overall a big theme, how we move much more towards understanding the need, the, the customer problem we want to solve, and then building out from that one a solution rather than saying, well, we do excellent motor insurance, let's do more of it. Yeah. And Claudio, what about uh, Sandiso's theory that with certain innovative products, you won't see the financial return perhaps for many years? Does that make you have disagreements with your finance director, for example, from time to time, or do you buy into this theory? 
we always have disagreements with the finance guy. Uh, <laughs> that's part of my job. That's the job description. Yeah, there's one, one someone who holds everything in order and someone who needs to push. Uh, and I feel my, my job is to push the limits to see what we can do. Having said that, though, on a serious note, I don't know if I mentioned it, but uh, as during my career break, uh, when I was uh, between two jobs, I founded together with colleagues uh, a startup in Switzerland that does basically mm-hmm. fintech. Uh, and one of the key things there is uh, just having cash flow. Yeah, it's basically, it's not even making money. It's just being able to pay the things we need to do. That's very different uh, to a big business that we have. And that's, uh, and I think so this is much more obviously um, capable in this, in this setup. But, but that's a very big difference to be cooperative. Yeah. And she's absolutely right. We, we do measure, when we do innovation, the wrong things in big corporations. Yeah, well, that's incredibly candid as a reflection and really will resonate with uh, a listener, I think. Claudia, you're listening to uh, Sandiso's journey and work. Uh, what question would you have for her? Having seen where you come from in terms of business and the things you have built up now. So how, I'm really interested in this, this, this too, just the work you do there, but how do you explain exactly the discussion we had to any big corporate that to make something meaningful, it's not a two or three years piece, but it's probably five and more. How do, how do you even have that discussion? How do you even get into the door if you say, if you say that? Yeah, it's so hard to sell innovation. Hey, it's so hard. It's as if you like, you know, the the challenges I have. So I think uh, for me, um, a lot of corporations, especially the mature ones, have got a lot of ideas that they've tried to take off the ground, but never quite. Like you said, it just takes forever to just get the ball rolling. And so the conversation opener for me is always be, I will help you enable your innovations. So what does that mean? It means, you know, connecting you to a startup that probably has a similar solution that we could pilot tomorrow. It means I'll help you crystallize your idea and get and build a prototype. Just like I think a lot of corporations have ideas, but just not enough stuff is being built to actually test them. So that's always my conversation opener. So, yeah. Yeah, great advice. Really good uh, reflection, Sandy. Say, so we're very fortunate with the lens. We have listeners all over the world. Somebody will be listening now, thinking, "I'm hearing Claudia and Sandy so talk about innovation. I want my organisation to be more innovative, and I want them to have something practical that they could take away and start to put into action, perhaps even over the next few days." I'm throwing you both on the spot, mm. but I wonder, Claudio, how does that process begin? Give us something that we can turn into action. Well, the Again, I'll take a big corporate perspective here. To drive innovation in a big company, one thing is having the leadership that really allows you to do that. And I felt very fortunate yeah, with Thomas, uh, who is running AXA globally, uh, that he allows that. So he gives us the freedom to test and learn, to, to innovate, just to do what, to test things. And having gotten that um, ourselves, uh, giving to you people, give them the right to test and, and go with things and accepting that things will go wrong but then uh, that's how you learn. And secondly, to get it going, you need to put resources aside. As we said, it will take long and just make place for it because it will take time. Uh, and as I said before, to achieve big and important things, yeah, you have to put in time and perseverance, otherwise you will not get there. Yeah, that's really powerful. <clears throat> Sandy, so let's get practical. What would you say? Yeah, so for me, like, and I know this when I was in corporate, it was a big struggle. So I think for me, it's about, finding like a problem to solve and do it quietly. That's the most important thing. Do it quietly. Don't in- involve the whole organization and get it to a point whereby you feel like it can be it's successful and you can start sharing that insight and then you can share because people like to be affiliated with successful things. 
So rather get this thing to be successful in a small scale and then you can bring everyone on, on board that needs to be on board and then you can scale it. Because if you, I promise you, if you tell the whole world about your idea at Inception Faith, they're all going to give you a, a thousand reasons why it's not going to work. Well, hang on, Sandy. So are you advising us to keep it a secret from Claudio? Is that what we're saying today? <laughs> I just think find, find people that are as crazy as you are in your organization and get them to come along with you and just get the CEO to invest in your idea, give you budget for it, and then just work with that, with that small team until you get like something out that is worth sharing. Right. I think Claudia has a way through this. Claudia, tell us what you're thinking. I think it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant idea. It's spot on. It's, it's, um, you need to ring fence a team because mm-hmm. uh, they, they need to be able again to fail until you get to that, until they get a prototype or product that works. And you don't want that whole organization you could have yeah, checking on them. You just need to trust them to do the right thing, letting them go. And then the challenge is, even if they succeed to do something fantastic, how do you then bring the new part of the family into the family yeah, and making it acceptable? But that's, I think that's a choice or a challenge that everyone has. But it's a good problem to have once you have that, that new piece, yeah, the new member. Yeah, I think this is one of the most interesting explorations we've had on the lens of how we make things happen in large companies. I've really, uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you. I have some quick fire questions for you and uh, hopefully uh, you're prepared. Uh, my first question is somebody you'd love to meet for a coffee. They have to be alive. Just somebody because they interest you, you find them intriguing in some way. Uh, Sandisa? Michelle Obama? Of course. Yes. I mean, honestly one of the most popular choices, and rightly so. Uh, what sort of question would you ask her? I'd just ask her, like, how was she able to just be a wife in all that turmoil in her husband's life? I think that was quite a big task. And I know people probably don't value, like, being someone's wife as much as being, like, the president or CEO. But I think she played a very important role in Barack Obama's uh, career. And I think, yeah, she's done a really great job at it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's a force of nature, her advocacy, her campaigning, extraordinary. Great choice. Uh, Claudia, who would you sit down with? Uh, I'll probably go with Hans Zimmer. He's a composer yeah, who has done tons of scores for, for movies. Um, I think he has two things that just have a conversation around how he collaborates with everyone. I mean, he has an incredible capacity to bring in different sounds, even ethnical pieces into it and creating a complete something completely new. And he never really takes too much credit for it. So I think he's a credible, good musician, composer, but also very humble. Yeah, well, I think that's a great choice. Anyone that can write the score for Gladiator and the theme for the quiz show Going for Gold uh, is fascinating for me. Um, so <laughs> a little piece of English culture for you there. Uh, <laughs> Sandy, so how about a book that you recommend? Um, it's the hard thing about hard things. Oh, is it Ben Horowitz? Yes, Ben Horowitz. Yeah, it changed the way that I just look at my business. Like, and that it's totally okay to have hard decisions to make, and they're really, really hard. And I just felt comforted that you know other people go through this stuff because I think entrepreneurship, you sort of feel like alone, or you're the only person experiencing these challenges. So when you hear of other people sharing and how to get through them, I think I was just like comforted. So yeah. Excellent. This is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by the Silicon Valley-based venture capitalist uh, Ben Horowitz. Great choice. I think it's the first time it's come up on the lens. So thank you. Claudia, what's on your bookshelf? I'll probably go with Sophie's World by Justin Gardner. It goes through all the the Western philosophical questions and uh, thoughts we had. And I think it's a wonderful way. I read it already two or three times to take time to reflect again, especially 
an environment where everything is so quick. Basically, people expect yeah, things to respond quickly, taking time to reflect back again, why do we do the things? How do, how do things work? What is right? What is wrong? What drives us? Uh, it's, it's just, for me, it's a fantastic way to, yeah, to sit down, reflect, uh, and take a bit time off from the hectic era around me. It's a great choice. It's very accessible for readers of all ages, actually. So uh, I may well revisit that. Thank you, Claudio. Uh, my final question, um, a piece of advice to your younger self. And I don't know whether we're going back to you delivering roses, uh, Sandy, so, or, uh, or, or maybe at the start of your more formal career. But where would you go back to and what would you say? Sure. I think I've had to learn patience. So I would say, like, be patient. Like, things take time. Like, building empires like as big as virgin or you know or airline it just takes 10 20 years and i just don't think young people we have like the patience for that we just want things to happen yesterday and we've got this culture of instant gratification and it's just like like real things take time to build i would just say be patient it will work out excellent advice and claudio as sandiza was speaking i'm very aware you are energetic and dynamic, but you're also giving us these messages of patience as well. So I suspect you might agree with Sandy. So I'd love you to reflect on that advice she's just given us and add your own to your own mm. former self. I like the advice and I think it's very, it's very true that sometimes big things just take time and having the patience to, to see things through. But also I, I like the, the, the positive spin, like things will be fine. Yeah. There's, I think that's a big, a good advice. It's like, there's no reason to be miserable with yourself. I mean, it, it really, there's much in your hands you can change. So take this positive attitude. I think it's a very good advice um, yeah, for, for, for anyone yeah, looking forward. Um, to myself, probably when I started working, I would have told myself to continue to working hard is good, but also enjoy the path every day. Um, because sometimes um, you can get in, bogged down these things uh, and you just see the next big project, the next big milestone that you want to achieve. But enjoy the journey. Enjoy every day. I mean, it's fabulous what we can do. I feel very privileged. I see every day fantastic people, great conversations, uh, and, and making sure we enjoy that part of, of, of the job too, what happens every day. And then the second piece, to be kind and courageous along the way. That's a piece I will give to myself. Yeah, this is excellent advice. It gets a thumbs up from Sandisa. Sandisa, it's our honor to have you as our guest on uh, The Lens from Johannesburg. Who would you most like to collaborate with? The world is your oyster. Who is out there? Maybe we could help on your way. Um, if you can get me Anglo America, because the head office is in London, I'd be I'd be very happy with that. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through we'll go through our contact book and, uh, and and see what we can do. And Claudio, your message to the world's most innovative startups in healthcare and beyond. They can sometimes see what seem very large corporations and struggle to navigate and communicate. What would your message to them be? Well, if if you have a great idea and you believe in it uh, and it makes a difference. Um, don't give up. Yeah, keep up the spirit. Uh, Sandisi said these things take time. Yeah, work on it. Make sure it becomes to a product that is viable and can be used. And once you have that, just go for it. I mean, if if the idea is great, I mean, don't shy away. Just go and go to the big boys and big ladies and tell them that what you have. And again, if it's a great idea, everyone will pick it up. Yeah, people are interested. But make sure first you you do spend time in getting it right and work hard on it. Fantastic advice, Sandisi. Claudio, thank you so much for joining me on The Lens. Thank you, Ali. Thank you. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. 
The Lens is a business in the community podcast powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. If you like what you've heard, then please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps and makes a difference. Thank you. Also, we're on Instagram at The Lens Podcast or on the Business in the Community website. The Lens is produced and directed by Aurelia Salitskater, music and editing by Giselle Hall and Will Francis, and our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>